Blog Talk Radio. Did you know that you wanted to be a professional wrestler? 
Well, you know, I was uh, I was playing college ball, uh, football, uh, for my first three years in school. And, you know, I'd started watching wrestling sometime in high school. Uh, I was a big Nitro fan because that was really the only wrestling I got was uh, Nitro. Yeah. Um, you know, and I just, I'd become a fan of the business and the athleticism and the action and the acting and everything that was combined to make professional wrestling, a.k.a. sports entertainment. Uh, and when I was playing ball, you know, that was what my focus was, was, was to be, be a quarterback, to play football and to, to excel at it. But, you know, things changed and situations were different than I thought they would be. And, uh, you know, it didn't go any further than my third year in college. And so when I got out of football, um, I was really looking for something to do that was athletic, and I, I had always enjoyed the idea of being entertaining. Uh, I couldn't sing at all, so I couldn't do being in a band. So, uh, uh, actually, the, uh, I worked at a nightclub in Austin, Texas, and the guy who owned the club actually knew a guy who had started his own wrestling company and, and wrestling school and stuff like that, and introduced us. And the guy said, "Well, yeah, come on out, check it out." You know, I mean, I was. Big six six kid. I was a lot skinnier than I am now, but still, I was a big kid. And uh, he's like, "Come on out, check it out." And uh, I went out and did a tryout, and had no clue how painful wrestling actually could be. Uh, almost didn't go back, but he made it financially affordable for a poor college kid, and uh, the rest is history, man. Well, you know that, that, that's really interesting because a lot of guys that you talk to, or just you know, even fans in general, uh, I remember speaking to Kevin Knight at the IWF, which is a local promotion here in. Uh, in New Jersey, and, you know, a lot of his guys' his talents have been in the WWE, guys like Darren Young, who's currently competing on NXT, and even uh, Robbie E. from TNA. And, you know, he was a lifelong wrestling fan growing up, and, you know, since you got into it a little bit later and you started watching uh, Nitro, was there anybody there that you really, uh, you really like, gravitated towards or you said, man, you know, I would love to either wrestle this guy or emulate this guy, whether it be like a Sting or a Ric Flair or somebody like that? It was Sting. It was, I, you know, I had a big uh, interest in the Crow movies when they came out, and then you know Sting took on that persona, and that just, as a young adult, you know, it really captured my attention as something I was just like, wow, this, this really exists in, in professional wrestling, and it's something that I've really grown to like as far as movies are concerned, and you know, it was yeah. just something that really caught my attention and caught my eye, and I, I knew who he was from his prior work, but I just really hadn't paid attention. Uh, until he took on the whole Crow persona, and, and that's really what caught my eye. You know, I, I'd hoped that I'd had the opportunity while I was with TNA to actually get to work with him, but it never happened. But I did get to work with him as far as the company was concerned. Had many conversations with him. He gave me a lot of advice. Actually, one that you know, sometimes they say don't meet your heroes because sometimes they'll let you down. And you know, he was yeah. actually a genuinely cool guy. I, I don't know who he was before I met him, but the person I met was actually super cool. Somebody who helped me out. Somebody who gave me good advice. Uh, and I was glad to meet him. You know, like I said, he was a cool cat. Yeah, Sting is the, one of my all-time favorites. I've always been a fan of his. But you're right. When he took on his Sting persona, it completely changed him. And he went from being the you know surfer with the flat top to being you know somebody that people really took uh, seriously in terms of his overall look. Not to say that he right. wasn't great before then, but um, you know, since you since you said you you never got a chance to work with him, who was your favorite competitor to work with out of all the guys you wrestled with in all your years in TNA and of course the WWE? Man, I, you know, I've, I've worked with a lot, a lot of guys. And, uh, you know, some of the guys that are truly – A.J. Styles is phenomenal. The name that he has, yeah. phenomenal A.J. Styles, it fits him. He actually is. It's amazing some of the stuff <laughs> he can do, and I, I, I got to work with him. Uh, you know, uh, there's many guys uh, tag team-wise. Uh, America's Most Wanted and Beer Money, both those teams were good. Uh, the Machine Guns were beyond talented. LAX, when they were going together – 
probably my best match the whole time I was in TNA, even though it was a losing effort on my part. <clears throat> the match I had with Abyss at Sacrifice 05. You know, it was one of those matches that I think at the time it really opened some people's eyes. I wish it would have led to more. It didn't, unfortunately. Um, but it was one of those matches that I think a lot of people maybe not have expected a whole lot out of. And when they saw what they saw and got what they got, they were amazed at that. And I really enjoyed it and always liked working with Abyss. Uh, had some matches with Paul London on the independent scene prior to my TNA stuff that were just off the charts, things that I remember to this day and whatnot. So there's yeah. been a lot of guys that I've worked with, best friends. Uh, Monty Brown and I were best friends, and we had some really strong knock-our-teeth-out matches, you know, and those were always cool, too. So lots of different people, lots of different, you know, abilities and styles and whatnot, but, you know, a lot of fun working in this business, man. Hey, Lance, it's JB from Pure Gold. How are you, sir? Good, man. Good. Um, let me ask you, did, did you watch the movie The Wrestler? The Wrestler? Yes, I did. What did you think of that portrayal of a wrestler? Um, in some scenarios, sadly true. Um, you know, there's there's circles and there's parts of this business that can be that way. Um, obviously, they were filming with real companies that exist today, uh, you know, some of the hardcore stuff and uh, you know, our Ring of Honor, CZW, and those companies that were on there. Ring of Honor is not hardcore, but CZW is. Um, you know, so it was very true to kind of what wrestling is today. And unfortunately, I think there are aspects of this business that he showed that exist. And a lot of the guys, I think, that were from that era have kind of, unfortunately, dealt with a lot of those situations. I think the business has changed. I mean, there's always going to be ups and downs, goods and bads, and things that people do that they shouldn't do because they think, you know, money's never going to end and the world's never going to end and things like that. But um, right. I liked the movie. I thought it was a very honest movie. Um, sometimes it's hard to watch because of the honesty. Uh, yeah, right. Don't, for, for people who don't know the business, I think the unfortunate part for me is that they watch it and they think that's all of wrestling. You know, it's like when all the bad stuff is portrayed on the news, whether it's if we're specifically talking about wrestling, like the Benoit situation, you know, it was very, yeah, yeah. it was a very, it was a very bad and unfortunate situation, but it put such a negative light on the business, and that's all people think it is. You know, I've I've worked with people in personal training and whatnot, and when they find out I do it, like, oh yeah, so you get hit with chairs every night and this and that, and I'm like, no, there's a lot more to the business than <laughs> just getting whacked with a chair or tossed through a table or whatever the case could be, but they don't understand that because they've seen very little bits of the business. So when they see movies like The Wrestler, although it's very honest and very true in many aspects, that's not the whole business as a total. And then, you know, it's unfortunate if people see that and that's all they know of wrestling. So I, I like the movie, but, you know, it's unfortunate that there's not a more positive movie out there for the wrestling business. I, I think if I took any positive spin from the movie too, Lance, though, is that um, the wrestling community, the wrestling, you know, the backstage, uh, everyone in the locker room is really... Uh, tight knit, and they really care for each other, and they look out for each other. And I think that that's one big positive that I took out of the movie is that you know everyone in the locker room looks out for each other. Yeah, and absolutely. And those are the things that if 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 you looked at, you would see that. But unfortunately, the, the layman person, the person who's just going to watch the movie because Mickey works in it, and Marissa Tomei, and people they know as far as the acting community is concerned, uh, they might not see that. They might not see the close knit relationship that becomes that family that is professional wrestling or like at the end of the movie when he's you know talking you know she's like don't go out there you know i'm i'm here and he's like well i belong out there and that's my family out there you know and the lack of understanding of what that that relationship that exists between the performer and the audience and and the guys in the back and, and the people who put everything together it's kind of lost sometimes because people just 
see the negative. So I hope that right. people can recognize that. But I think people who are around the business see that and recognize it. People who aren't, I think, kind of just glance over that because they, all they see is the negative. Right. Now, be, uh, what about, like, in terms of, you know, life as being a wrestler in terms of being on the road? Is it, like, as bad as it, everyone makes it seem like on the net, what I read about? Or is, you know, traveling just something that is part of the thing that you love to do and it's just, um, you know, is it a downer? or You know, what, what do you think about that? Uh, I've always enjoyed, I enjoy going different places, new places. I'm getting ready to go to Japan again, and I can't wait to go. I haven't been in, you know, since before my WWE time. And, you know, I always enjoyed it. it. It's not fun when you get stuck at an airport and one flight gets canceled. Or where I was flying just recently, and I was stuck in, where was I think it was Memphis, because the president was coming in, and they shut the airport down for him. And I was, you know, it's like, wow, you know, since you're here, why don't you go fix something instead of just screwing up my travel day? <laughs> Uh, but you know when when you're stuck in an airport and you can't go anywhere and you can't do anything. I mean, I've traveled one of my best trips that I've ever taken in the business today. I went to an island off of uh the south coast of Africa called La Reunion. It's real close to Madagascar. And we spent like 11 days there. I had a show every other day. It was at a festival. I was in a hotel that overlooked a tropical beach with water so crystal clear you could be 20 feet deep and you would see the bottom of the water and just, you know, a volcanic island, kind of like Hawaii. And it was the most amazing trip in the world. But getting there, it was like, you know, I, I flew from Texas to Amsterdam with three and a half hour layover in Amsterdam and flew to Paris with an eight and a half hour layover in Paris and then an 11 and a half hour flight from Paris down to La Reunion. You know, just, just ridiculously long travel, just sit there. And then you get to places people don't speak a lot of English and, it makes it even worse, and that aspect of it can get kind of tedious, you know. And, uh, but as far as getting the places we get to go and doing the things we get to do and seeing the things that we get to see, I mean, that's what makes it worth it. Some people like traveling more than others, some people not. I, I always enjoyed traveling, especially when it went smooth, but I don't think there's anybody that likes traveling when it starts to go bad. <laughs> yeah, I think the bottom line is if you want to be a wrestler, uh, you better be able to at least tolerate the travel because, like you said, uh, those stories those stories are classic, right there, uh, Lance. Yep, absolutely. Now let me let me ask you in terms of your character. Do you um? I always like to ask this question. Do you like to portray a uh, heel or face, and why? I always felt like I was a better face, a better good guy. Um, oh wow! But. But, you know, I mean, the people saw me as a heel, as a bad guy, and they wanted me to just, you know, to go out there and wreck house and hurt some people and things like that. And I, I got better at it as the longer I stayed with it. And, you know, with WWE having a lot of really smart and amazing people around me, Arn Anderson, Fit Finley's, Dean Malenko's, you know, all these guys, you know. And then when I was working, you know, training a little bit at FCW, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Norman Smiley, and, Steve Kern and Dusty Rhodes and all these guys. I'm just amazing minds of the business that have been around and more knowledge than one person can take in. But they helped me understand how to be a better heel, um, and I think I got pretty good at it. But I still just feel like the energy that I've always portrayed from my time as Lance Hoyt and even Lance Rock a little bit when it was kind of a goofy heel character, but it was still kind of fun to watch. I've always felt more comfortable with the energy that I had given to the fans as a face, but again, you know, got to work where you're asked to work and do what you're asked to do sometimes. Folks, we're here joined uh, by Lance Hoyt from TNA, a.k.a. Vance Archer from the WWE. 
Lance, uh, it's interesting you say that because I was fully expecting you to say that you prefer heel. I have never heard a guy, and, and you know, I've heard MVP in interviews, several of them. I've heard Chris Jericho in interviews, you know, a bunch of guys. They always say heel because of the reaction of the crowd. So you saying a face is kind of interesting, but, um, you know, speaking of your, your, your time in, in, uh, in TNA and your persona and stuff, um, obviously you spent a lot more time in TNA than the WWE, but, you know, you seem to have a positive spin on the, the WWE portion of it. Can you give us an idea, what are some differences uh, between the two companies, in, in your opinion, for the time that you spent there? Uh, I mean, you know, I don't know. I can't really speak on what TNA is now because I haven't been there in a while, and they've changed a lot. Yeah. But when I, when I was there to go into WWE, TNA truly was a, a wrestling company, and WWE is an entertainment company, and that's really what they're gearing themselves towards. You know, TNA really had some of the greatest wrestlers in the business, the young wrestlers in the business that were, you know, just amazing to watch, extremely talented, and, you know, if you weren't right there, hard to keep up with. Um, you know, and WWE has those as well, but they're much more focused on the character and the energy and the, the attitude and the, 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 the persona and those things that come with wrestling, which is an extremely important part of the business because if you can capture people's attention and their emotion, you can do anything and they'll enjoy it. Um you know, so the difference to me was, you know, TNA was much more about being total nonstop action at the time uh, with the wrestling, and WWE is much more on character driven. So, entertainment versus wrestling. Okay. Now, you know, it was kind of what we would expect. I know TNA is on their whole kick of now uh, where wrestling matters, and the WWE is eliminated wrestling from their name. But um, what about what about that versus now with the New Japan Pro Wrestling, which, which you're doing now? How would you consider th that? experience with with those companies as opposed to what you're doing now japan is uh it's, it's a different style all itself man it's a very hard knocks knock your teeth strong strong style is the, is the word used um you know you've got to go over there and those fans they're, they're not like american fans where they're constantly on their feet making noise yelling booing cheering whatever they're doing yeah. Being a part of the show, you have to kind of earn those Japanese fans' respect and do something that makes them pay attention. Um, and it's it's a very strong style. It's a very uh, I don't know abrupt style, very car wreck style, very hit them, bang bang, knock them out, get them going, and the people will enjoy and appreciate it. You know, um, and uh, I appreciate it. I've always had fun. You know, I've had several stints in Japan, smaller companies, all Japan, and this will be my first chance with a. Uh, New Japan, and I, I believe I'm going to take them by storm. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you about uh, the FCW time as well when you were in uh, the WWE, but you, you kind of answered that in terms of, uh, you know, the people that you worked with. But can, can you give us a, a little bit on that? Before you, you were called up to the WWE, what was that like? Uh, it was a good choice for me, simply for the fact that, you know, I, I'd been where I'd been. Um, there had been some failures coming from TNA, headed over to WWE, um, and I think for me, it was a good opportunity to kind of really learn what WWE wanted. Uh, you know, it, some people are like, oh, you know, you probably shouldn't have gone there and this and that. And it's like, well, it didn't hurt me any. And I wasn't there very long. I was only in the FCW, you know, uh, full time uh, for about six months until I got my opportunity okay. to go and work ECW. So it was a good choice for me. It was a good chance to go and learn and try to adapt myself to what WWE wanted instead of stepping right in and possibly making mistakes on the big level that, would have really been a, a very quick downfall uh, in comparison. Okay. Now, Lance, now Lance do you think that uh, you were used um, well or not well in the WWE concerning the time that you were there? Initially, yes. After that, no. 
After that, no. <laughs> that, that's just, I mean, difference of opinions. You could probably speak to people within their office and say that I made mistakes, and maybe I did make some mistakes, but I don't think, I don't think that uh, I was used properly. I'll say it that way. <laughs> how much, like, how much input would you say that you have uh, in terms of storylines and just people that you're feuding against? Um, I mean, you have a decent amount of of, uh, of input as to what's going on when you're actually getting to do something. It's just sometimes when you're not the main focus, it's much more hard because your time is very limited. You're not really focused on any kind of feud or anything like that. You know, I mean, when I was working with Sheldon Benjamin and on ECW prior to ECW shutting down. Yeah, I remember um, that. There was there was a good amount of input because there, it was an extended it was an extended feud it was something that was ongoing it was something that was working towards you know that crescendo effect of something big happening at the end of it um, so there was a lot of all right how can we make this better but when you're just kind of there and you know oh this week you're working with this guy and for no apparent reason and this is happening and blah 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 other than the match itself you know there's not a whole lot of input you can do you know you can always offer ideas and thoughts and hope that it, it's picked up and used and whatnot. And if it is, awesome. If it's not, you just have to keep throwing ideas at them until they come up with an idea or you come up with an idea that works and you can move forward from that. But um, there is okay, uh, there's an allowed a lot of opinions. So, right. right. So how would you say, like, how would that make you feel or how did that make you feel as a performer? Because obviously you believe that you can get the job done or you wouldn't have been there in the first place. But how, how did you feel about all that, that whole experience, uh, you know, your time there? I, I, you know, I enjoyed it. I actually, I'm, I'm working very hard, and I'll get back. You know, it's, it's a point of it. it this business has ups and downs. Um, whether it's financially, it's performance-wise, uh, personally, whatever it is, that's life. That's this business, and it happens. Um, you know, the WWE, I think, at this point in time in life, and and, and as business-wise, is not in a position where, it's, in the past, I think guys, if they weren't being used very extensively, sometimes they were just pulled off television. They were kept under contract, and then they would be brought back in six months or a year from that point and, and kind of repackaged and resurfaced and try again. Now, yeah. because, you know, life and, and the economy and everybody's feeling it, now it's kind of a scenario where, you know, if there's guys that aren't being used very extensively, sometimes they just they kind of make a budget choice. And, unfortunately, I was a part of that budget choice, and I was released. And then, you know, say six months from now, a year from now, whatever, if something comes up that I fit into that spot, then there's a good chance that I could go back. So I okay. think, you know, like some people go, well, why were you released? I, think, I truly believe it was just a budgetary reason. You know, and unfortunately for me, I wasn't being used very extensively at the time. They said we have to cut this much money off of our budget, and the, these people unfortunately are a part of that. And me and 12 other guys got released all at the same time, four writers and a referee. So there was a lot of people that got released at the same time. So it wasn't like I was uh, – just a, a one-off, out of nowhere, me by myself getting released because of some bad reason. It was just, I think, an unfortunate circumstance for myself on a budgetary scale. Lance, I gotta appreciate uh, your honesty and uh, your positive, positive spin on things. Uh, you know, it's definitely refreshing because you know you could have easily ripped the WWE tonight, but you didn't. So I do appreciate that, and I'm sure DG does too. So yeah. turning our attention, you know, turn, turning attention to another facet of your life. Tell us about your okay. faith and what brought you to, you know, the decision of becoming a Christian. Uh, you know, my family has always been in the church, uh, you know, from the time I was a little child. Uh, you know, my dad, my mom, 
took me to church every week, Sunday school every morning. Uh, started doing the Wednesday, you know, services with the youth, uh, you know, when I was pretty young, going to church camps and things like that. So it was always something nice. that's been a part of my life. Um, you know, I, I believed I got saved when I was eight years old. I think that was just kind of me thinking, you know, I had to do something because I'd seen other people do it and things like that. I truly don't think at eight years old I understood what I was doing and what I was trying to be a part of. Um, and then it was I was 12 years old. I remember being in the Wednesday night youth service. Uh, we had a section where, you know, you would go off into the smaller rooms with you know, smaller groups and talk and whatnot. And I just felt God and Christ come into my life and my heart. And that's when I truly accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. And, you know, you say, you talk about the positive spin. And I, I have to know good, bad days. And I have my bad days. And I am definitely nowhere close to being any kind of perfect. Um, but yeah. God, God has blessed me every day in so many crazy ways, family and food on my table and things like that. And I try to remember that there are a lot of people out there that have a lot less than I do. And it's very unfortunate. And I hope that, you know, God will find his way to take care of them the way he's taking care of me because he's blessed me amazingly. And I try to remember that always because when I have those bad days, when I'm mad at the world, when I'm yelling and screaming and cussing, God's got shoulders more broad than anybody that I can even think of or imagine. And, you know, I mean, he, he allows me to let things out, you know, and then, I have to watch my P's and Q's, and he kicks me on my butt when I do stupid things, and that's that's his right because he's God. Um, but my faith is there, and I think that helps me put a positive spin on things, whereas I can get really mean and negative, and it wouldn't do me any good, and it wouldn't get me anywhere, and I wouldn't move forward, and, you know, it wouldn't help anybody, and it wouldn't help my faith. It wouldn't help my walk. And, um, you know, in the business, it's, there's a lot more Christians than I think some people understand or believe. You know, if you just choose to do it and be a part of it and, and try to walk the walk and, and talk the talk as much as you can, um, you know, you can find your own path and do your own thing. And, um, like I said, I'm nowhere close to perfect. I've made a lot of stupid mistakes and, and whatnot. But, you know, thank thank the Lord he's actually forgiven me. Uh, and yes, me sir. Support. So, how would you say that? That help? Yeah. Yep. That's great. How how would you say your faith has helped you in terms of your in in ring career? Uh, I God has beyond blessed me with you know an, an injury can happen at any time. So I'm not saying that it couldn't happen, but you know I, I try to make sure that I I ask for protection um, every time and you know try to move forward and whatnot. And he's he's kept me safe and protected me from injury and harm. Amen. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you this, uh, Lance. Has your status as a pro wrestler helped you share your faith with people? I mean, aside from my question being, do you share your faith with other wrestlers in the locker room, but has it helped you share your faith with, uh, with just general people, uh, you know, out, out on the street or people who may recognize you from your time in the business? I'm sorry, say that again, please. No, well, my question is, has your status as a professional wrestler helped you share your faith with people, whether it be the guys in the locker room or even, uh, you know, people on the street who may recognize you from your time in the business? Um, it has. You know, some people have recognized me and some people have asked those questions and whatnot. And, you know, I'm I'm not the most vocal. I try to be vocal when I can. Um, but if, if people ask, I definitely tell them, you know, what I think, how I feel, and so on and so forth. Okay. You know, it's interesting you talked about how you got saved and everything. Uh, you know, as I mentioned to you th through the uh, emails and stuff, you know, I'm a youth minister myself, so I deal with a lot of uh, a lot of kids, and a lot of them sometimes are, are knuckleheads, especially the 12- and 13-year-olds. But, you know, it's encouraging that you've done so much in your life, uh, you know, being a, a Christian for, for so long that, 
you know, sometimes when you think, man, these guys are just driving you nuts, it, in the end it really does pay off because you just never know what, what might happen. I mean, again, you're you're an example and, and a testimony to so many other people out there. And I know there's a lot of other professional wrestlers who do believe in the Lord, you know, guys like Shawn Michaels and even Sting, two of my all-time favorites. So it's great to hear someone like you, you know, be able to share what uh, what what's happened to you and, and what's going on. But, uh, you know, Lance, again, we appreciate all the time you've given us. And I have one final uh, question. What does the future hold for Lance Hoyt? The future hold, man, I'm just pushing forward, and I'm going to keep going until I can't go anymore. And for the people who think I'm done with the business of professional wrestling, a.k.a. sports entertainment, they're sadly mistaken. I've got a lot left in me, and I think I've, I think to some degree, unfortunately, I've held myself back. And if WWE, TNA, or whoever even cracks the door, I'm going to kick it in and I'm going to make people understand exactly how good of a performer I can be. Man, that, that, that's some good stuff, Lance. Again, we really appreciate you coming on. And, of course, you're always welcome on the show anytime. You have a wonderful evening, sir, and, and thanks for coming on Pure Gold. All right, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Thanks, Lance. All right, take care. Good night, guys. Folks, that was the one and only Lance Hoyt a.k.a. Vance Archer of the WWE. Lance spent about four years in TNA. He spent a year and some change in the WWE. And I remember watching his feud with Shelton on ECW. I was hoping that they'd do something with that show. Obviously, it's non-existent now. But having him there and, you know, doing his feud, I'm like, you know, this guy's pretty good. I remember him in the, even in the SmackDown vs. Raw uh, 2011 video games and stuff. I'm like, you know, this guy's good. And it was great having him on uh, JB. And this interview was brought to you by Fitness365. Are you sick of being out of shape? <laughs> I know I am. Tired of not having the energy to do what you need to do. It's time to get sick and tired of being sick and tired. We here at Fitness365 have the answer for your workout problems. Call us at 973-592-7840 for high-intensity interval training boot camp. That's, again, that is a high-intensity interval training boot camp. I have to make sure I get that right for the listening audience. Get in shape fast with four weeks of tough training and an easy-to-follow meal plan, all for the low price of only 100 smackers. Visit us at www.powerhousegym.vpweb.com. Once again, powerhousegym.v as in Victor, P as in Paul, web.com. And for more info, make sure to call 973-592-7840. We are Fitness365. Get fit, be fit. Stay fit, JB. You know, DJ, like I told Lance uh, during the interview, um, it was great to have such a, you know, positive and refreshing interview in terms of, like, he could have, like, honestly, he could have really ripped, you know, the WWE a new one if he wanted to, but he knows, yeah. you know, through God, he knows that, the, he knows, you know, he has his belief, his faith, so he knows that he's going to be, he's going to be fine. And, you know, if the WWE calls him again one day down the road, like he said, he's going to kick the door open, and he's going to make sure that he's noticed this time. It's true, you know, and and it's interesting because he said two things that, well, he said a lot of things that really caught my attention, but two things that really stood out to me was his positive spin on the WWE because, you know, you expect guys, you always hear the negatives. You hear, man, the company sucked, and, you know, they didn't treat me good, or, you know. I mean, look at what he said. He got released. I remember the day, too. He got released with about 12 other guys. There was a ton of guys released that day where they have their, their uh, you know, Every six months, every you know, so often they have their budget cuts, and Lance was one of the, the one of the guys released. But he was very positive. You know, he he didn't think that he was used properly. He said that, which is refreshing and honest, which we both loved. But he still wants to come back, and he'd love to come back to the WWE and show what he can do. And for a guy his size, 
definitely Lance has has ability, and uh, you know he's he's someone. I mean, six six. He's a he's a monster. You know, he's bigger than the Miz or half the other guys on the roster. So he could definitely make an impact if they use him properly. I'd almost be afraid of him going back to TNA just because of the state of flux that TNA is in. But you know what, Joe? You never know. And we definitely appreciate that. And I also appreciate his whole take on being a face because. I mean, don't you find it interesting? Guys never, ever say that they like to be a face, that they prefer to be a face. Every every interview I've ever read, I've, I've heard some with, with uh, Doug and Dave over, you know, my favorite show, aside from this one, of course, uh, Busted Open. And, you know, I heard Kurt Angle. I've heard, uh, I've heard MVP. You know, I've heard Chris Jericho. I've heard, you know, other guys say they love being a heel. They love being a heel. So it was great to hear them say that, sir. I, I think there's one other person that you might be forgetting that actually loves – to be a face, and don't laugh when I tell you the guy's name, but his initials are KK. You talking about Kevin Knight? Yeah, I mean, he told us he likes to be a face. <laughs> yeah, you know, Kevin, you know, that interview was such a long time ago, I, I forget half the things that Kevin said. All I remember is, let's go Jets, and let's go Pirates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what a segue, we uh, we go into let's go somewhere else now. Folks, it's 10, it's 10.33, it's time for the sports update and Todd's take brought to you by Rocco's Inner City Games. Rocco's Inner City Games, where your gaming needs are our specialty. We have new and used games at competitive prices, and we also repair all video game systems. Come to Rocco's for all your gaming needs. Call us at 973-883-6022 or visit us at 69 Garden Street in Passaic, New Jersey. When you call or come in, please mention Pure Gold. Without further ado, it is time for the sports update. TJ, how are you, sir? Nobody works. The segue like you, JB, that's for sure. For Major League Baseball, <laughs> Rays top the Rangers 5-4, to four. Tigers over the Twins 8-7, to seven. Indians over the Jays 6-3, to three. White Sox over the Red Sox 10-7, to seven. the Angels are losing to the Royals 3-7 to seven in the 8th, the Yanks are over the A's 2-0 in the 2nd, Orioles are knotted at 0-0 with the Mariners also in the 2nd. Rockies are below the Dodgers, 2-0 in the second. Pirates beat the Mets after a great start by Dickey. It just all went to hell in a handbasket. <laughs> Cardinals beat the Giants, 4-3. Nats beat the hell out of the Phils, 10-2. Padres beat the Braves, 5-4. Brewers over the Reds, 7-2. The Astros lead the Cubs, 7-3 in the top of the ninth. And the Marlins and the D-backs... It is one nothing D-backs in the fourth. JB. Is there a basketball game on going on tonight? Oh, you know what? I forgot to turn the page over. You're right. Look at that. See that? Good job, Todd. I was so, nice I was so excited about my take. I completely forgot. So, Good the NBA, we, have game, we have game one of the, uh, the NBA finals tonight. Uh, Mavs <laughs> currently lead the Heat 44-43 to at the half. And tomorrow night we have game one in the Stanley Cup Finals, Bruins and Canucks, and the puck drops at 8 p.m. J.D. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You know, it's only game one of the NBA Finals, but, you know, who gives a rat's butt? I mean, we, we, we want to listen to Todd's take, so, Todd, you better make this a good one. Take it away, sir. All right, so with the NBA Finals and the NHL Stanley Cup Finals, both about to get underway tonight and tomorrow night, respectively, uh, I'm reading a lot and hearing a lot about uh, Dirk Nebrit, uh Dirk Nowitzki and uh, LeBron both. And, uh, you know, one on the up, the other whose time may be up. LeBron is still a relatively young player who could indeed live up to his Michael Jordan comparisons and 
you know, Dirk will never be able to live up to his Larry Bird comparison, you know, purely because of a lack of hardware, you know, a ring collection point of view. So I wonder if Dirk's legacy would be sullied if uh, no championship was attained. You know, conversely, would LeBron ever recover from the disappointment and failure of, of a loss, you know, uh, DG, JB, did either of you ever play any organized sports when you were growing up? Oh, of course. Uh, you know, softball for years, baseball. I remember the good the good old days, my glory days, as it were. Yeah, okay, I bowled so for about that, 10 years. <laughs> in that time, did either of you ever get into a position where you or the team that you were on were making a run at a championship? Oh, my gosh. Every year my team was always in the – we were the Mets, well, except that we were actually good. We were always in the championship, and we always come up second place. We finally won the championship when the when the um, the league basically crumbled. But I remember those days. There was a lot of suffering and a lot of torment. Todd, thanks for bringing that up. Thanks for ruining my night. Appreciate it. All right, well, That's okay. let me ask you another question. So how did that make you feel? When you were, when you were like, about to like, achieve that championship status, I mean, how did that make you feel? Like, I remember feel... feeling like a million bucks, and then I felt like garbage <laughs> okay. afterwards, a hot piece of garbage. All right, so you answer my other question in that you are still somewhat haunted by it, correct? Oh, of course. Oh, he's haunted. Okay, <laughs> I, I mean, just like you guys, I played a lot of organized sports as, as well when I was growing up. You know, I was a, a five-time basketball league champ, a three-time baseball champ. I was part of a state champion wrestling team. Uh, and, of course, you know, uh, I played in uh, Group 4 football here in New Jersey. You know, I played in a high school that, you know, won the state champ. They won the state championship so many times, not while I was there, but they won the state championship so many times that there was an expectation every year. It was like playing on the Yankees. I've hoisted a few trophies in my day, and I often wonder what the feeling of never having won any kind of championship is like. You know, is it as haunting as I've heard and read that it is you know what can i say is that there is nothing that can compare with being recognized as the best at at something you know whether it's sports or at work in academics you know whatever it doesn't matter you know let your inner competitor out control it harness it put it to work for you let it drive you to be the best you know, once you've been to that pinnacle, when you've been to the top of that mountain, you know, you work harder than ever before so that you can achieve it again, so that you can have that feeling once again. And that greatness will move you forward in life, and the feeling will never be taken. I'm Todd Johnstone. JB? Thanks, TJ. And that does remind me of the time that, you know, about for about 10 years, I had a bowling team named Strike Force, and we actually won four titles in nine years. But let me tell you, the thing that you know, I think about the four titles. I think about, you know, being a dynasty like the New York Yankees of the 90s or the late 90s. But I, I do get haunted by the two second-place finishes that our team had, um, you know, a couple, a couple of those years. So uh, I hear what you're saying. Definitely strive to be the best. And, you know, make sure that you're always taken. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I, I love the data. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love Todd's lack of interaction there with us. <laughs> you make your you make your bowling come, and Todd's like, "All right, I gotta go take a dump." That was an, that was another great take by Todd, and you know, <laughs> I think that's the first time that Todd actually asked us a question and allowed at least one of us to answer it during one of his takes. But that was good, you know. It, it's true. 
that when you think about the feeling, and, and my wife doesn't understand, and I always talk about my wife, but she doesn't understand what it's like because she never played organized sports. You want to win. When people tell you, my dad loved the man, but he was full of it. He would always tell me, oh, it doesn't matter how you if you win or lose, how you play the game. That is a load of garbage, and I'm never going to tell my kids that. I'm not going to make my kids miserable when they lose. You know, yeah, you tried, but you want to win. Everybody wants to win. Winning feels good. It's ingrained in you. So to lose every year or to never win anything or to basically suck, nobody likes that. You know, God didn't design us to lose. He designed us to win at what we do. So, you know, JB, us being the number one Internet radio show, I mean, that's just a foregone conclusion. I feel like a champion already, sir. And in terms of Todd's uh, Todd's take, I'd love it if LeBron never won anything. I would be so thrilled. As a matter of fact, I hope he doesn't win because just the way he left, Cleveland, you know what? He can take it somewhere, and, and I can't say where it is because, um, you know, youth minister. But anyway, sir, uh, a good take by Todd, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was definitely a good take. And, you know, to, to add to your points about, you know, winning is about, you know, it's all about winning. I couldn't agree more. But, you know, the other aspect of it, too, is that, and usually deal with this either with your girlfriend or your wife or your fiance. You always, you know, you always hear about like, you know, let them win once in a while, and I mean, yeah, I yeah. never understood that. I never really understood that. I mean, what kind of empty feeling would you have if somebody let you win? I mean, you have to try and try your best. If you if you don't win, then you don't win. But this whole like notion about let them win, I mean, that's just pure crap right there. <laughs> I, you know, I, I usually agree with you, but the only reason I don't agree with you is because a, you're full of crap, and b. The fact is, like today, for example, my wife and I, we were playing basketball. We were shooting around. Not, we're not really playing a game. We ended up playing our version of Around the World, which is, you know, if you're a pro basketball player, you're a big-time bowler, you'd be like, man, this is horrible. But we did our version of Around the World, and she actually beat me, and she actually taught me a thing or two about how to shoot uh, the, you know, how to shoot the ball in the game that we played so that it would go in more often. Because, you know, here I'm throwing up, you know, hooks and jump shots and stuff, and I'm missing it. The ball's go, literally going all the way in the net and somehow popping back out. I don't know. Magic, possibly. I mean, uh, let's not get into that. But, you know, I mean, she, I'm sure she felt great beating me. And I, I can kind of understand that because you want that feeling of I did something. Like a little kid, you're telling me you're not going to let Sabrina beat you once or twice? You're just going to pummel her into the ground so that she can be embarrassed and, and humiliated and shamed? I mean, what kind, of, what kind of sick person are you? That's what I want to know. <laughs> you did mention on the air about uh, three minutes ago that you um, you were taught how to shoot. And yet, you were you know, you know were taught how to shoot, and yet you did impregnate your wife. So, I mean, you, you know how to shoot sometimes. <laughs> well, sir, that's kind of besides the point. But uh, you know, let, let, let's segue from this before you turn this into uh, into pure crap. Um, I definitely, JB, yeah, let's talk, yeah, let's talk about basketball. <laughs> All right, let, let's go. That's not where I was going, but you know, let's go into basketball, sir. Uh, I know we have our show and stuff. Were you able to check any of the game out? Have you seen any of the uh, first game of the finals? Yeah, I mean, surprisingly enough, the NBA finals started on time. Like by nine oh eight, the ball was tipped off. Usually, lately, the NBA finals they start at nine twenty, nine twenty five. So. Uh, without, you know, even, you know, you can look at the score right now, but I just want to let everyone know, and you can give us your take on it. I think it's going to be a great finals between these two teams, and, you know, you know, me hating the Heat, especially LeBron James and what he did in the offseason, I'm definitely picking the Mavs as a fan. I, I want to see the Mavs win. I, I think Dirk Nowitzki would be a great champion uh, with Jason Kidd. I just don't want to see the, the new the new big three down in Miami win another title, especially Dwayne Wade. He already has one title. 
and he makes me sick. So I, I don't want to see LeBron and Bosch win the title, especially their first year as a team. Um, so I'm picking DG. I'm picking the Mavs in a hard-fought seven games. You know, uh, I agree with you. I'm hoping, you know, I wouldn't say praying, but definitely hoping that the uh, the Mavs can take it. I don't want LeBron to win. You know, I hear enough of my my nephew, who's a huge fan of the Heat, even before, and, you know, he's a big fan of Dwayne Wade, and uh, one of my 50 brother-in-laws lives in Miami, so, you know, he, he's a... Uh, Carl, you know, I mentioned it to you before. We actually had him on, but Carlos Arroyo is a friend of his. Used to be on the Heat. I mean, how how, how upset must he be, sir? He went to the the Celtics thinking they were going to go all the way, and look, uh, the Heat, the team that he was on, is now in the NBA Finals. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, things happen. I mean, the the, the Heat were hungrier this year. <laughs> <laughs> the Celtics got they're all the younger bad. this year. <laughs> yeah, they're younger that than, too. Than, <laughs> than that old sloppy jalopy broken down uh, Boston Celtics. But I agree with you, man. I want the Heat, the Heat to lose. I'd love it if they lost in six. It's probably going to go seven. I know a lot of people are picking them. Um, let me ask you, sir. I was watching, uh, I was listening to some uh, radio programs that shall remain nameless, and there were people calling in talking about LeBron James and where he ranks all time, and uh, Michael Jordan and Bill Russell and all that stuff. Give me, uh, since you're more of a basketball guy than I, uh, give me your take on that. I mean, it's it's early to judge LeBron James. As one of the all-time greats, I mean, yeah, he has the talent, but let, let's see if his career lives up to the hype. I mean, right now, the last, you know, his career has been okay, but I don't think I'd rank him in the top ten of greatest NBA players of all time. So, you know, let's just wait and see on LeBron James. Uh, I think sometimes we put the cart before the horse, and, you know, LeBron James is definitely an example of that. I, I think he's, he's a great talent. Let's just see where his numbers, his stats, his titles stack up to the greats, uh, you know, in four to five years from now. You think he's a better overall player? Um, not in terms of uh, shooting, because I, I don't think anybody's a better shooter than Michael, but you think he's got more overall talent than Michael? He's got strength. I think the only thing that he has over Michael is that he's just a stronger, he's like a beast. I mean, like, look at how chiseled the guy is. I mean, Michael Jordan was never that built to, like, you know, go through, like, the entire team and drive to the lane. He drove through the lane with finesse, you know. That's Michael yeah. Jordan's style. He he had the, he had the outside jumper definitely. LeBron James has the, you know compared to Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's jumper is like a hundred times better than LeBron's. So uh, when I look at those t- aspect uh, defensively, I think it could be kind of even. But I think I still think Michael Jordan is definitely, if not the best player that ever lived, he's like definitely top three. All right, let me ask you this, sir. We were talking about this off the air, so why don't you share with the PG audience. What would you name, who would you name as your top five? Now, obviously, um, you know, we can get into we haven't seen this player, we haven't seen that player. Uh, we've we've only heard of, like, a Bill Russell, for example. But in terms of guys that you've seen, you know, if you go position by position, who would you say is your top uh, your top five guys? Well, I would definitely think Michael Jordan's my, my shooting guard, over even over Kobe Bryant. I don't know what this love fest for Kobe Bryant is I think Michael Jordan was 10 times better than Kobe Bryant ever was. So I would definitely have as my shooting guard Michael Jordan. My point guard, I think the guy made every foul shot, almost every foul shot he's ever taken, and he always knew how to find the ball to Carl Malone. He also knew how to shoot the three. So what can, what more can you ask for than maybe just get more rebounds than um, what John Stockton did in his career? So I think he was the best point guard I've ever seen. So I have Michael Jordan, John Stockton. I think defensively, in terms of a power forward, um, definitely Kevin Garnett definitely has the total package in terms of 
being able to hit an outside shot, not a three, but able to hit a shot from, like, beyond the foul line and definitely played great interior defense. So I think KG was definitely the best uh, power forward I've ever seen. In terms of small forward, I think that, um, and you're going to laugh, you might laugh at this one, but I, I think that for a seven-footer, it's amazing what Dirk Nowitzki could do. So I think that uh, if you ever watch him play uh, a, a full game or even a season, you'll see what kind of special talent this guy is. He's seven foot, like I said, and he can shoot the three. He can post up. He never misses a foul shot. The guy is Mr. Consistency. So, and then I guess my center would be, and this is from when I, you know, first started watching basketball. Uh, nobody can nobody can beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in terms of what I've seen. Um, his mastery of being a center, his defense, his hook shot. You know, a hook shot is basically a shot that's, you know, you can't block it, DG, if it's shot the right way. So that shot right there made him like, you know, you couldn't really defend him at all. You, you know, you tried your best, but Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is definitely the best center. So those are my five right there. Now, where would you say uh... – I think it's interesting. You had to put some white boys on the list. No offense to all, you know, your brothers and sisters out there, but I think it's interesting because, you know, when you think of all-time greats, typically you'd go with, uh, you know, guys like a Jordan or you know whomever else, uh, Magic Johnson. Uh, speaking of uh, Magic, where would you say he ranks top in the top list of uh, best players of all time? And what about your your friend, Mr. Larry Bird? Um, with the the current talent that is in the NBA. Over the last couple of years, uh, Larry Bird, unfortunately, in my book, probably t- you know falls down from top ten, and he might be in the top fifteen. I mean, like I said, you had Dirk Nowitzki joining the fray. I mean, you have Kobe Bryant, that is a really good scorer, so he would probably fall down. And, and Magic Johnson, believe it or not, DG, Magic Johnson is one of the only NBA players in history to play every position. So oh, wow. for that fact, for that fact, he should actually be in the top five. He was a center, small forward, power forward, a guard, and a shooting guard. He's played every position, and not many players could say that. PG. He never played left field. He played left field for the Los Angeles Cal- Dodgers. <laughs> Los Angeles Dodgers or the California <laughs> Angels back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely appreciate your uh, your honest take, Joe. And I think, like I said, I think it's interesting. You know, to get the white boys in there. I remember watching John Stockton. And he he was he was an animal. Definitely he was a was a great player, no doubt. Um, you know, Derek is obviously uh, you know getting it done now, and I do hope he gets his title. Because to me, what regardless of what sport, titles just legitimize you. I mean, you have all time great players like uh, Ted Williams, let's say, who we've only seen in you know videos and whatnot. Never won a title. So many guys never won titles. But for the most part, you, you know, that title really cements you. Like a Peyton Manning, for example, if he, you know, he obviously could have won a couple of years ago, blew it, then the Saints won. But he got his title, and that legitimizes him in the talk as one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I always thought that that hurts you from not getting in there. I mean, is Ben Roethlisberger a better quarterback than him, for example, because he's got another title and he's been in, you know, one more uh, Super Bowl? No, obviously not. But... You know, if you think about it, sir, if you think about um, someone like uh, Kareem, let's say Kareem never won any titles, or Michael didn't win those six titles, I mean, where would he rank? You, you wouldn't look at him so highly. Let me ask you this. Michael, unfortunately, his father died in 1984, so he did not uh, play that year, and then he came back midway through the 95 season. Do you think if Michael's father were alive or if Michael had decided to keep playing, you think they would have won eight, eight uh, titles in a row? I think they would have kept that team intact. Nowadays, you know, with the salary cap structure and people wanting these huge contracts, I think it would be different. But I think back in that time, I think that, 
you know, if Michael Jordan decides uh, after his father passes away that basketball is no longer something he wants to do and now he wants to try baseball out, you know, how he tried out for the Chicago White Sox, um, I, I really do think that we have a, a huge dynasty on our hands. I think that the the, the way the Bulls were structured, the, the way the team was made, they could have won easily eight titles in a row, DG. Um, you know, just like the Celtics did in the 50s, this would be a huge dynasty for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, there was no stopping Michael Jordan. That that loss of his father really hurt him emotionally and, you know, definitely took him took his mind off of basketball. He definitely wanted to try something else. When he came back, he won another three titles. But if the, if his father doesn't pass away, you're, I definitely think they would have won at least eight straight titles. That's amazing when you think about it, that he was that good. Obviously, Scottie Pippen. You know, what do you think about this? I mean, you know, we're getting some NBA talk here, folks, on Pure Gold. What do you think about Scottie Pippen's comments that he thought uh, LeBron is better than Michael? Or could be better than Michael? He said that to... Yeah, he did. You didn't, didn't hear those comments? He made some comments that he quickly retracted, saying something to the effect of that uh, Michael was great, no doubt, but he thinks LeBron could be better than Michael, that he's a, he's a better uh, overall player. No, I definitely disagree for the reasons I told you before. Um, they might be about even in terms of defensively, but I think Michael Jordan will always have the better outside shot. I think LeBron James is hot and cold um, with his outside jumper. He might be able to take the ball to the hoop uh, with you know with force, but you know Michael Jordan found his way to the to the hole a lot too, and you know he spent a lot of his time on the foul line, which meant that he knew how to drive to the hoop. So I I, I don't know I don't agree with Scottie Pippen on that one. I definitely think if I'm building my all team, my all NBA team, I'm definitely taking Michael Jordan over LeBron James. It's interesting that today Mike uh, was saying Mike Francesa said that um, he didn't see, he he's never seen anybody will a team. The way that Jordan did. I mean, he he believes that LeBron has more overall talent than Michael. He's bigger, stronger, faster, like you said. But he definitely feels that nobody could will a team to win like Michael did, and LeBron just doesn't have that intangible. You know, Michael. I mean, his will alone would put up 55. You know, he would win when he's got the flu. I mean, he just got so many. You know, his classic, his classic shots. You know, the the classic jumper. Uh, you know, then he jumps up, pumping his fist and everything. You know, you see in commercials and and, and whatnot but that Michael absolutely had a will that he's never seen in another player. And then you had somebody like a Bill Russell, for example, who won so many titles. But, you know, on the flip side, Will Chamberlain only won a couple, and Wilt was one who didn't seem to – again, this is going by what Mike was saying – didn't really seem to have that will to win, sir. Yeah, when you when you start talking about the intangibles, uh, Michael Jordan blows LeBron James out of the water. LeBron James cares about his image first – and then cares yeah. about winning, I think. I think it's all about his image, his company, um, and that's definitely not what Michael Jordan stood for. So for that, when you start talking about like the intangibles, I think you you could put Kobe Bryant up there. You know, I think of, like, three people. I think of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and even, like, a Derek Jeter. These people, all they care about is winning championships. They could care less about their stats. They just want to win titles. It's all about winning. And for that, you got to respect that. Oh, absolutely. And the truth of the matter is, like we were talking with John, I mean, John, uh, Todd uh, Johnstone, isn't that what it's all about, sir? I mean, it, isn't that what, what, it, what it really is? Don't you? I mean, that like I said, that whole idea of, you know, uh, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. It is such a, it's just not true. You know, it, I don't care what anybody says. And again, I respectfully disagree with my father. It's it's not true. I never bought into it. And I, again, I don't want my kids to be nuts and you know, hounds talking about um, you know you have to win every game, and obviously it's not going to happen. You gotta you gotta take it with a grain of salt. You're going to lose some games, and that's fine. 
But the truth of the matter is that you got to win, sir. You got to go for it. You you know, you need to have that ability to want to win. It's just you To me, that's what it's all about. You know, winning. Some guys just don't have it. They don't have that killer instinct. But, you know what? Like guys you mentioned, especially Michael, they definitely have that instinct. You you absolutely have to respect it. Yeah, I never understood like um I always uh I've always told people that if I was a pro athlete and if I was offered uh 10 million dollars a year to be on a competitive team and win titles every year or have a chance to win titles or take a $25 million contract a year and play on a team that sucked, I would always take that $10 million a year because, you know, you only need so much money, DG, in, in life. And we know that eventually money becomes the root of all evils. So, you know, give me $10 million a year if I was offered that and give me a chance to win a title every year. That would make me much happier than giving me a $25 million a year contract and playing on a team that has no shot at winning a title. I agree, and I've always felt that when we've talked about it on the air, I would, like you said, I'd much rather take less money to be a winner than to be a loser and make twenty five, thirty million. Like someone, for example, like like Edge or Jason Worth, as we like to call him, you know, his his alias. Now that he's not wrestling, he's out there with the uh, the Nationals. He's making a ton of money, more money than he deserves because he's not that great of a player, great wrestler, not a great you know player, but. He's making all this money on a horrible team that's never going to win. So what's the point? I'd rather take less money and play on a winning team than be the man in some garbage town that nobody cares about. Totally agree with you there. So, um, you know, it's it's definitely about winning. And uh, that that fire that Michael Jordan had is, you know, 100,000 times more than LeBron James will ever have. I mean, like I said, LeBron James puts on a good face and, you know, his team's in the finals, but – not for nothing, he has no desire like Michael Jordan used to have when he wanted to win titles. I agree, sir. And again, hopefully it stays that way because if he can awaken that killer instinct, that may mean that uh, he's going to win a lot of titles. And of course, sir, we definitely don't want that. Not here on Pure Gold, at least. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm looking at Twitter right now, and uh, I'm actually uh, looking at my MVP, and he mentioned something about how he doesn't understand, you know, LeBron fulfilled his contract, and he wanted to play somewhere else. Why is there so much hate? I mean, I consider MVP to be a smart guy, but I don't understand how how people can't understand why we dislike LeBron so much. That whole announcement was so ridiculous. Again, I remember being on vacation and seeing it. I'm like, man, this guy's an absolute tool. All he had to do was pick a team. Make his decision. Look, Joe, I guarantee you, if he doesn't make that big spectacle, that big uh, press conference, that big ESPN special, and he decided to go with the Heat, nobody would hate him as much as they do. But people hate on him because that was such a ridiculous, bonehead, classless move. And I don't care what anybody says. It was just the wrong way to handle it. He he hosed uh, the city of Cleveland that, you know, really embraced him as that favorite son, sir. Yeah, I agree with you. The way he did it was just so unprofessional and, you know, Again, he thought he was bigger than the team, bigger than the league. He thought he could put on a huge show. And then they tried to spin it off, DG. I'm not sure if you know this, but they tried to spin it off by saying that that whole night, all the proceeds and all the money that was, I guess, raised for that night was given to a charity. But, you know, we we know the real deal. We know that LeBron James, all, all he cares about is LeBron James. So for that, I mean, that's why I think I don't want him to ever win a title. I think that... You know, in basketball and most of the, 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 obviously all four main sports, you know, it's winning as a team. It's all about teamwork. And for you to think that you're above the team, you know, no thank you. Uh, so that, that that's where my, my not my hatred, that's where my uh, loathing of, <laughs> of LeBron James <laughs> comes from. Because, I, I, you know, I don't like somebody that doesn't want, I, I don't like a me, me, me person. I want to win as a team. And I don't think LeBron James has that mentality. 
I agree with you, sir. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, but moving on from LeBron as we uh, close out the show, sir, we're going to kind of get back. I'd like to get back into wrestling for a bit if we could. Uh, did you happen to catch Raw last night? I did on my DVR. Awesome. Did you watch Karma's speech? Sorry, I, you know, now that I think about it, that was kind of an abrupt uh, change from LeBron to Raw. But you know what? I mean, we, we're advancing with time, and I wanted to get this in before we uh, finished out the show. Did you did you catch Karma's promo, sir? I did, sir. What did you think? I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was from the heart. I didn't know that she – I mean, I've seen her in TNA. I had never seen her speak. Obviously, she looks like a monster, so you wouldn't think that she'd be so good on the mic. But, man, she was really – she really got the job done. She was excellent. Um, she could give Randy Orton some promo tips, sir. You know, as horrible as he is and as much as we joke around, even, you know, some other guys who who are terrible on the microphone, like a John Morrison, who's got all the talent in the world, but he can't talk his way out of a wet paper bag, or an Evan Bourne. I mean, she she did great, sir. I, I loved it. I thought it was, again, heartfelt, and I was impressed. You know, obviously the WWE took this real-life opportunity to turn her face, and she's going to be gone for such a long time that, I mean, who knows, maybe the crowd will forget. But, I mean, she was getting some major, major uh, crowd pops for the whole pregnancy thing, sir. Yeah, I mean, they definitely did a good job. Let's not forget, though, DG, sometimes, um, you know, it's the, the wrestler that um, – can make a good promo, but they gave her some good material to make it a good promo, too. Let's not forget that she mentioned some real-life stuff, like how JR told her that she'd never make it as a diva, and then she used that to fuel uh, and then make herself, you know, this badass person and try to learn all, this, all, the, all the wrestling that she could, you know, across the, you know, across the sea in Japan. So the material that she used was great, and I think that she delivered it great, but, you know, let's not forget that it was basically one of those like shoot promos before she goes on a a nine month hiatus. Well, well, that's the thing. I think that I don't I don't think much of that promo was scripted to be honest with you because if it was from the heart, which it really seemed like it was, she was convincing. And I don't know if the WWE's never been that great at writing those kind of promos. So I honestly don't know. But the truth is that she got her point across. What I didn't like was what happened afterwards. I you know I've never been a fan. I've absolutely never been a fan of making fun of women's weight. I think it's stupid. I think it's ignorant. I think people who do it in real life are morons, you know, making fun of somebody. I don't, I don't understand saying, hey, man, you're getting fat, or hey, you know, you're, you're gaining some weight. How does that help anybody? How does that make somebody feel good? Makes them feel like you garbage. Mean, sorry, sorry, go. You mean, like, you mean the, what the twins did uh, when they came down to yes. the ring? Yes, sir. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely not them that were, you know, they were actually told by WWE to do that, but you're right. I mean, but when does the WWE ever not, like, they always step over that, that boundary. We never want them to. Like, again, I go back to when, like, you know, Jerry Lawler and his mom passed away and they decided to go across the boundary, you know, and, and talk about his, his mother that passed away. So, you know, is uh, it typical WWE uh, that they, they mention about, you know, karma's body weight? It's not, it's not you know, uh, shocking that they did that. I mean, it's just a, a heelish thing to do. You're right. I just I think it's stupid and I think it's cheap heat and I think it kind of shows the level of immaturity of Vince McMahon. I remember the whole Piggy James thing with Mickey James, who's a beautiful woman who looked fine just the way that she was, better than you know most of the divas really, and she's a natural, real-looking woman, and they're making fun of her because what she's like five pounds overweight according to you know Lay Cool. I've never I've never liked that kind of stuff. It really it's really off. The Jerry Lawler thing is another class of trash by itself. But this to me is just off-putting. You know, I've never, never been a fan of it. I think it's just bad. 
it's a lack of creativity by Vince and by the, the WWE because you know Vince is the one telling me, yeah, do this and make fun of her. And, uh, yeah, it, it's cheap heat, but you know what? It, I think it's unnecessary and I think it's stupid, sir. I agree with you. It's, um, you know, I, I do laugh at the fact that, you know, you didn't tell the audience this, DG. I mean, I mentioned, I watched on DVR, but you, just like you have mentioned before on the show, like a battered wife that doesn't know when to quit, actually watched Raw Live last night. I did, and you know, I, I made that, I made that analogy never to be spoken of on the air, and of course you have to throw that out there. It's it's obviously not fair, and it's a, it's a serious thing, women who go through that. But it's just like a bad relate. I, I look at the WWE like a bad relationship. Like you just keep coming back for more. You just love you just love it. It's like you're addicted to the to the crap, you know, the the abuse. And uh, again, I, I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to make light of of uh, what I said to you in, in confidence, you you putts. But aside from that, I did watch it live last night, and I actually thought it was pretty good. Other than the ridiculous, I mean, and again, WWE is a class act organization. I'm sure you would agree in terms of their promos and in terms of you know, their promotional videos and, and their um, special effects and stuff. But they had a, a weird, I'm not sure if you caught that, they had the weird uh, malfunction at the beginning. Did you check out the R-Truth segment there at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know where they're going with that. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Well, I mean, I don't mean I don't mean that. I mean the the whole technical difficulties thing. Yeah, I mean it happens. It might have been bad weather. I've I've seen technical difficulties a lot uh, happen on the WWE. But you know the the storyline I'm trying to get to is is pretty bad. I think what they're trying to do with our truth. I mean it's so not believable that he's on the same level as John Cena. Between that, I mean you saw it was a good show. I thought it was a bad show. I mean Riley continues <laughs> to. <laughs> Uh, Riley continues to get the upper hand against the Miz. I mean, I mean, can we further bury this guy? I mean, soon he's going to show up on Tough Enough as a you know as a competitor again. I mean, this guy is being thrown down to the mid card so fast. And are you tired yet of these capital punishment jokes with Obama? Uh, anything that has to do with Obama, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of. Other than Lance's comment that he made earlier, which was classic, by the way. Um, I'm not a big fan of all that. I just think it's so stupid, the whole dream sequence thing. I mean, it's typical WWE. I, to me, it's harmless, but it, it, it's dumb. I mean, I, I agree with that. It's definitely dumb. But, uh, I mean, you got into the whole R-Truth thing. I really wasn't going there. But, you know, the the, the, the little Jimmy thing is kind of stupid. And, you know, he cuts the promo of his life, I guess, in the WWE. And, of course, there's technical difficulties. So that's part of the, <laughs> I guess, that's part of the holding the black man down conspiracy. That, you know, that's the first thing that went through my mind. I'm like, man, this guy's probably screaming. He's flipping over merchandise. He must be cutting the promo of his life. And, of course, he's, you know, he's black. So let, let's cut the let's cut the sound. I, I thought that was kind of funny. And I'm sure they'll tie that in with his character, you know, which is interesting. But aside from that, I mean, John Cena, anything with John Cena, I just, Take a you know what on it. It's just horrible. Um, getting back to the Miz thing, why do you think they're burying the Miz? You know, I mentioned it last week, and I mentioned it on Doug's show. The WWE just does not know how to write guys. Once they lose the title, first of all, they didn't know how to write him when he was champ. Now that he's not champion, forget about it. He's going to be a waste of space. Dude, five and a half months, he's the WWE champ. That's still a big thing nowadays in the wrestling world or sports entertainment world. What are they doing? Why does he continue to get handled by uh, Alex Riley, who, by the way, is a couple of inches taller than him? And may, I mean, I think he makes Miz look bad, to be honest with you. 
He does. I mean, I like I said last week. I understand that you want to you see something in in Riley, Alex Riley, that you want to make him a face. But there there could have been a much better way of doing it than than burying the Miz. What they're doing right now, I don't. I'm not sure. I, I, you know, it's uh, it's pretty safe to say that these two guys are going to be fighting at the next pay per view called Capital Punishment. Um, but if the Miz Maybe Obama will be match, the guest referee. Maybe, but if you know what, folks, if if the Miz loses that match at Capital Punishment, then you could forget about the Miz ever again. I mean, you might as well just put him on SmackDown and let him be a mid card and, and fight for the Intercontinental Title from now on, because there is no way that the Miz will recover if he loses to Riley at Capital Punishment. I'm surprised you actually remembered which show the Intercontinental Title is on, sir. <laughs> but aside from that. Um, you know, because we're always talking about that. The truth is, I agree with you. He's probably going to get future endeavor. And the Miz has talent, no doubt, at least on the microphone. Um, but it's just such a bad way. I honestly thought they were going to make him a face, because considering Alberto Del Rio is on this show, and he's, he could be a main event heel. Our truth is being turned into a main event heel, so I thought maybe Miz would go face and Alex Riley would stay heel, but obviously that didn't happen. They're going in the opposite direction. But Riley getting the better of him twice, not good. Miz has to beat him, and I mean absolutely has to beat him. In uh, in whatever match they have, whether it be the Obama match at Capital Punishment, whether it be uh, you know what whatever else that they have planned for these two, but definitely some weird WWE booking. Uh, speaking of WWE booking, the, the atrociousness that was the Cole uh, Michael Cole and uh, Jerry the King Lawler feud seems to be over. I have to admit, Cole was actually pretty good at calling a match as a straight man, and I'm glad that this thing seems to finally be over. I, I hope and I pray that it, it doesn't turn into he's uh, pretending and he's going to come back and attack him because that would be horrible. But um, it goes to show you it was a complete waste because look at Jack Swagger. Now he's jobbing to Evan Bourne instead of being, uh, you know, in, in any major story. It was just a waste of Swagger for three months. We ha- we had to live through Colin Lawler for like four months of garbage, and now here we are, you know, they're back to doing regular commentary. Aside from the fact that, he has that still ridiculous man love for the Miz. I mean, you know, I, I'm just glad that Cole dropped the persona, sir. I agree with you. I love how you did mention though. He um, he called a straight match, or he's a straight guy, or something like that. Yeah, well, I, not I, being I, straight. <laughs> well, I, I mean, as a straight color commentator, as the guy who's just you know, like the like you know, like us. Uh, I'm the I'm the funny guy. You're the straight man. You're the one who. You know, it's, it's a little bit more serious, and I'm kind of whacking out there. I'm not talking about anything other than the, this term. I'm not talking about anyone's orientation or anything else, sir. But aside, of course, you have to go there. I mean, typical JB. Aside right. from that, I thought having him do that and going back to being a regular color commentator was was much needed on Raw because we did talk about how are they going to put these two back in the same booth, but, you know, they've managed to do that pretty flawlessly, and that's good. But, uh, again, aside from his ridiculous love for the Miz, you know, I really think they missed the boat with Cole. Instead of having a few with Jerry Lola for six years, what they should have done is had him manage Jack Swagger and be his mouthpiece and just be a heel and leave the announce booth and bring Jim Ross back. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with you. Or they could have, you know, the way they, they almost tease you with it is that, like, you know, the Miz's new uh, spokesperson is going to be Cole because, you know, he Cole always talks up, uh, for being a straight announcer, he always has this weird love fest for the Miz that is always strange, and you always wondered how come Cole, they just didn't put Cole as the Miz's manager and go that route because that that would have made sense. I agree, but the thing is, the Miz doesn't need a manager. Someone like uh, 
someone like a Jack Swagger does because Swagger has no type of skills when it comes to uh, being on the microphone there. I thought you said that the WWE is now going back to the manager model. Oh, they are. They actually have uh, our, our friend, a uh, great personality, Armando Alejandro Estrada, even though he got rid of the Alejandro. But Armando Alejandro Estrada is actually um, back. He's managing Tyson Kidd on Superstars. That's another example of, of a bad pairing, only because Kidd is so small. Yeah, he needs somebody to talk, somebody... Uh, you know, to talk for him, but Michael Michael Hayes made him look small, and, and Armando Estrada makes him look small. They need, like, a, a tiny manager for him, I guess, or if not, put him back in a tag team with uh, David Hart-Smith and then have Estrada be their mouthpiece because at least uh, with David Hart-Smith, he's the same size as Estrada, and it, it doesn't it, – not that it doesn't make Tyson look small, but it kind of offsets it, you know? Yeah. Did you – I mean, what – Let's face it, the WWE these days, I mean, there's no continuity. The storylines basically suck. I mean, I can't believe we're spending more than 10 minutes on this. I mean, they're just crap. It's just crap. I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, I, I'm back on the rant about, like, I'm going to DVR it, I'm going to fast-forward it, and then probably just delete it in, like, about 30 seconds because, you know, it's, it's for the most part, this is not must-see TV anymore for me. It's It's just garbage. So basically, you're saying that the Miz is not was not the most musty champion in WWE history. <laughs> shut up! Shut no, up! Not. <laughs> exactly. Shut up! Exactly. <laughs> well, sir, um, do you have any nuggets for us before we close this? Uh, you know what out? Yeah, I mean, we could have segued right into like the competitive spirit uh, before getting into this all this WWE talk. We could have. Uh, I just wanted to also mention, uh, growing up, you know, being a Mets fan in 1986. You know, there was a lot of different Mets on that team that I, I loved, uh, but my favorite Met of all time um, in terms of the 1986 Mets was number eight, Gary the Kid Carter. And to hear the news about him having all these brain tumors and it's, you know, grade four, inoperable, I mean, it's such a shame. I mean, I don't know the man himself. Um, you know, we I know that he was in the news recently over the last couple of years when he was talking about how he could be the he could be a good manager instead of Jerry Manuel and stuff like that. But I knew that the guy was very competitive in 1986. I mean, him and Keith Hernandez, two uh, batted three and four in the lineup, or sometimes four and five. And um, I know Gary Carter had that competitive spirit, just like a Michael Jordan does, Kobe Bryant does, Derek Jeter does. And um, you know, as always, uh, Pure Gold sends our thoughts and prayers with Gary Carter and his family. It's just a shame to hear that. DG that, you know, he's got these brain tumors that are inoperable, and we wish him the best, and, you know, hopefully, you know, we they find something that could, you know, help him, but, you know, it, it really doesn't look good at the moment. I agree. We obviously, we know, we and I always say this, but he's in our thoughts and prayers, and really in our thoughts and really in our prayers, because um, Gary Carter, regardless of what, you know, it, it's a shame, regardless of who it may be, but, you know, Gary's obviously an icon in New York in his five years with the Mets where, you know, nothing short of a legendary and he had a great Hall of Fame career and it's a shame. I mean anybody having cancer obviously is a shame, but somebody in the public eye like Gary Carter and stage four is obviously the worst stage and then being an opera was just sad and we you know, we pray for a miracle. We pray that everything turned out okay for Gary. Doesn't look good but you know, only God knows and uh if not, I mean he's been able to live his life uh, in such a great way and being a positive role model and a positive influence. So we, we wish nothing but the best for the one and only Gary Carter who's probably the best I I mean 
I would say in terms of talent, Piazza was obviously better than, than Gary. I mean, he, Piazza's the best pure hitter I've ever seen, um, aside from Manny Ramirez before he was on crack. But, you know, he's probably the best pure hitter to ever lace up a Met uniform or, you know, put one on. But Gary's right there with him. And an overall catcher, he's obviously the best catcher in Met history. So, you know, our, our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, to Mr. Carter, sir. Um, anything else before we uh, close this one out? No, I mean, I'm looking forward to Thursday's show. I'm sure you're going to promo it before we leave. And, uh, you know, had a good show. Thanks, you know, Lance Hoyt coming on the show. And uh, looking forward to another great show on Thursday. Of course. This, I mean, all, all our shows are always great. But, um, you know what, folks, if you'd, like to, uh, if you'd like to check us out, please do on Thursday. It's going to be a good one. We have Mr. Greg Sussman of WFAN. He's actually the winner of last year's Fantasy Phenom competition. This Saturday at Menlo Park Mall is where the competition will begin again. And it should be interesting for those of you out there. You know, we're going to talk to Greg about the competition, what it was like. Maybe he can give some of you some pointers or whoever may be going out there. I've heard some rumors that there are some people that I know going out for this uh, this position. So it's great for, for to have Greg on. We, we really look forward to that. We're going to talk to him about some sports. And, of course, the NBA Finals as well. Um, get his take on that. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good one, folks. And we've had quite a few guests lined up lately, and you know we're thankful for that. Of course, as I close up the show, we thank Lance Hoyt for joining us, giving us some time. It was a great interview. We had uh, we had a blast with him. Oh, by the way, so the Heat are winning by three points with 6:46 left in the fourth quarter. Uh, hopefully, yeah. the, the Mavs can get get off their duffs and uh, get the job done. But anyway. Um, you know, if you'd like to follow Lance on Twitter, you can. His name is actually Lance Hoyt, H-O-Y-T, and just put it like that, Lance Hoyt, one word. You'll find him on uh, on Twitter, and of course, he's our, our friend on Twitter. We're following him, and you know, we I've mentioned him, we've mentioned him in our in our last couple of tweets. So you can find him through that as well. Our, our pure gold PG Twitter. We'd like to thank Kelly, our board op, Fitz, our producer, Jose, our media director, for securing the great interview with Lance. And, of course, you, the listening audience out there. Remember to tune in on Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for another edition of Pure Gold. For JB, this is DG of PG reminding you to always keep it PG. I like turtles.